We just closed the biggest affiliate marketing survey ever in the industry. We've surveyed over 2,200 pro affiliate marketers to get the answers that many of you are looking for, like how much do affiliate marketers make per month on average? What's the average RPM of an affiliate site? What are the most lucrative niches in the industry? Should you use ads on top of affiliate links to monetize your website? Is taking courses or joining Mastermind correlated with higher revenue? What percentage of affiliate sites were negatively affected by Google core updates and does Google really hate affiliate websites? We're answering all these questions and more in this episode. We've also released a full blog post with some stats that are not shared in this episode on authorityhacker.com slash affiliate marketing survey. But we've also included some exclusive stats inside this episode, so if you want the most of this research, keep watching or listening. Before we get started with this episode, I want to thank this week's sponsor, Ahrefs Webmasters Tool. It's free and I'll tell you more about it later. I also want to give you some context before we jump into the hard stats as to who answered this survey. So we've promoted this survey to over 100,000 of our active subscribers, to our socials and on the podcast. And exactly 2,270 marketers answered the 28 questions. Out of all the respondents, 44.5% of them had less than one year experience. Then the one to five year bracket made another 40% each of the respondents. And then about 16% had over six years experience. I think it's quite representative of the industry. The lion's share of the audience is always the beginners and we see it in this survey. The good news is the split is much more even when it comes to niches. We literally have a little bit of everything with no niche making up more than 10.8% of the respondents, which gave us some very interesting insights into which niches are better. And that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be looking into during the episode right now, starting with the most important question, how much do affiliate marketers make? Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. Today we have a Mark and Gail episode for once. I know it has been a while, but oh my God, shocker. So obviously Mark is here. So step one, how's it going, Mark? You know? Oh man, I've had so long to prepare for this one. Uh, I kind of forgot that this was a part, a regular part of the podcast. So yeah. unfortunately, I don't have an answer again. Uh, okay, well, I am not impressed. And the reason we have a podcast together is because we actually did something on Otoy Hacker that we wanted to talk about in this episode that's going to be cool. And you've seen the pre-intro, so you know we're going to talk about the affiliate marketing survey that we did. And there was a bunch of cool findings and it made me think of the industry a little bit differently. I think like we kind of have like our own little narrow perspective of how we do things. And then it's like looking at how people do things, what kind of niches make money, etc. Like uh, how they drive traffic, what is their biggest challenges, etc. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not really necessarily an issue for us. Or like, I have this issue and people don't have this issue. And so I think that's going to be quite interesting for a lot of you guys to kind of like place yourself against the average of the industry and see where you are basically compared to everyone else. I think that's kind of the fun part, you know? Let's start right away with the, the money stuff, right? You want to say something first, right? No, no, nothing. <laughs> okay. So how much money do people make? $8,000, exactly. Well, actually, 8012 is the average across all survey participants, which in itself doesn't really mean much. So we actually broke this down by niche. And that was quite interesting, actually. We found that travel is actually, at least among the people we surveyed, and there was, I think, 2,300, something like that, affiliate marketers. The average 
of those people in the travel space was earning $18,915 per month. Was there some outliers? Like, was there some guy making like millions or something? I'd need to dig into that, possibly one or two, but I mean, there, there's thousands of people in this survey, so it should average out. And travel's not, it's not like a obscure niche. Small niche, yeah. Yeah. I always assumed that travel was like, there wasn't that much money in it. And it was super competitive because it was like really enjoyable. And there was lots of travel bloggers and people doing it, not really with too much of a business side of things, just to, to talk about it. So yeah, it's maybe something we need to relook at actually. I think booking.com, for example, pays good commissions and so on. It's like, I mean, the commissions have been varying a lot, but like uh, there are like a few decent FA programs of like big brands people actually use and pay well. And you can still do the Amazon stuff, etc. Like you can blog about accessories, you can blog about these things like, you know, best uh, backpacks for backpacking through Europe this summer, whatever it is. And it's like, and then you can essentially make both. So I can see how it works. And it's like, it's not because Expedia or these big sites exist that you can't make money, right? Who's the second one? It is a very like gear orientated niche as well there's like a lot yeah. of stuff you need to buy travel by its definition it's you know disposable income so the types of people that are doing a lot of travel probably the rpms on on ads and stuff are, are quite high as well although this was just the uh, affiliate income we're talking about in this part of the survey we, we will get onto ads a little bit later and one thing as always travel is it's not as strong ymyl as like something like health or something like that so it's like it's something people spend a lot of money in usually like you know like the biggest spends they tend to be associated with kind of like an area where you might need expertise so you know health and like finance etc whereas travel it's like there's no degree in uh, in air miles you know and so that that gives an opportunity for like random people that have experience and not expertise to actually share insights and people find this interesting and google will not judge you for that basically the second top one here was education and e-learning which i found quite interesting i guess you could say that's kind of touching on our niche a bit although maybe products, digital marketing is yeah. a better space thing just info products in in general as an affiliate obviously it makes sense because there's no unit cost to produce those like you do you have with physical products commission rates so are high. Yeah. the commission rates tend to be much higher than they are getting 50 even 75 percent commission on a, an info product isn't unheard of. Even 100%. Do you remember when we ran, so we, we actually worked with the guys who run uh, an old info product called Truth About Apps on health ambition. And it's like, they would give us 100% of the sales initially. They just used us to generate leads that they could sell other things to. And then they'd give us all the money that the emails generated uh, in exchange for essentially finding the people who would buy. And so... And they'd sell other stuff yeah. to them later. So that yeah, was yeah. kind of their, their business model. But yeah, it's just when you so have a no lot of margin niches. to play around with that, you can spend to accumulate type thing. Yeah, there's no other niches that's going to give you 100%. Or like, depends. Like, you know, the VPN at the peak was also like, definitely they would pay you at least as much as or more than people would actually pay for the VPN, for example. Hosting sometimes because there's strong stickiness, etc. So some industries might do that, but it's not that many, basically. What are the next ones? Yeah, so another one, uh, the third one is beauty and skincare, $12,922 per month on, on average. This really quite surprised me actually, because it's just not a niche I know much about. I know there's there's a big demand for it. There's some very expensive products in there. I think we kind of looked at it a little bit back in the, the health ambition days, but it was just quite difficult to find one product that did really well. There's like a lot of different things you had to 
to know uh, about. You and need to educate yourself. It's like it's it's like I don't know if you've noticed, but I've actually have very nice skin these days because I've actually looked into skincare products recently. <laughs> and so I spent a whole day looking at all that stuff. I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff to learn about. And it's like, yeah, it's like if you actually educate yourself on this, there's lots and lots of sub products and subcategories, and that made me think of that actually. And that's the I guess maybe one of the reasons why it's a good niche is because it's not like you could argue in vpn they're pretty similar and it doesn't really make too much difference which product you buy you just buy one and you get the service type thing whereas i, I don't know with skincare i presume the different things do very different things to your your skin and you have to be quite careful what you're and usually when you get one you might need to buy more so let's go into the details if you put retinol on your skin you actually need to put sunscreen or moisturizer with sunscreen because other your skin becomes more sensitive to sunburns basically so it's like actually you need to wear that every single day so if people by one thing, you can actually upsell them on several things. And there's many things like that in skincare, for example. So I can see how people who know that stuff can sell a lot of stuff while creating content talking about it, actually. I can see you becoming a skincare influencer in the not Absolutely. I have a spot here though, so I need to work on that. But other than that, yeah, it's like, uh, no, but like, it's interesting. It's like you, when you research that, it's like you, you think of the business side of things and same, like, for example, there is some of these things that are prescription only, but there are companies that do online prescriptions and they have affiliate programs. So if you want like, there's the consumer grade products and there's the kind of like pharmaceutical level grade products, but there are companies that actually do that for you. So you kind of have an online appointment with a dermatologist. They talk to you, et cetera, and then they give you the kind of like higher end stuff that you couldn't buy in a pharmacy. And they have affiliate programs actually. And so there's, there's a whole business in there that, and I can see why people make good money actually. My experience of skincare products is what I, I was in Budapest <laughs> airport once walking to my gate and some young <laughs> lady grabbed me by the arm and insisted that I try this skincare product. And who was I to say no? And then she told me it was $200. And it was like, yeah. you know, this size for, That's not I, I don't actually, even know. And that just got me thinking, like, if you can afford to pay for like a premium airport location, high footfall place and have staff dragging people in to, to sell this, like the cost to produce this stuff must be tiny. Like you, you, you must be making insane margins on it. So maybe that's uh, part of the reason why the, the niche is so The so problem is that in the subs, it must be quite YMYL. Like it's quite, I think you need them yeah. at and all that stuff. So it's not, it's not so simple to do well, I think. But like, yeah, there's lots of money. Uh, do you want to run the next ones quickly? And so we jump onto the next stats. There's a few other popular ones up there. Obviously, Finance, 9K, Tech 8, Health and Fitness at 8, and Digital Marketing at, at 8K as well. All high profit niches as, as we expect. If we go a little bit lower down, yeah, though, some of the ones that weren't doing so well in the affiliate game, fashion, although I did note later in the survey that did a lot better in ads. So maybe something to think about there. But the lowest ones, personal development, 1.5K a month, parenting and family, 1,100 a month. That really surprised me, actually. I thought there was like quite a lot of money in that. I think it's kind of like mommy bloggers that may not do great cure research or something like this. It's, it, you know what I mean? Like, it, I feel like people just talk about their lives. Possibly. Maybe. I think there's just this phenomenon like when you have a child a lot of people like want to start a business to do with that but then maybe in four or five years losing not lose interest but you know like <laughs> you know it lose interest she in, lose interest in the business in the, not, in your, your not in your kids but like in, <laughs> you, you don't have babies anymore like you have kids who are starting to go to school and stuff yeah, and just yeah. you know what i mean yeah you're not really into that 
business anymore. If we go like below a thousand dollars a month, pets and animals was down there. Now I think funny. this is a survey limitation though, because there's pretty good money in that space. Just so happens that one of the uh, case study sites, which we talk about in one of our courses, is uh, in the pet space, and I Everyone think there's a, a lot sense. of kind of copycats <laughs> of of that. So, and it, as we go into the, the next survey topic, which is average affiliate income by experience level, we actually can see that people with less than a year experience they, they don't make much money. And you know, I think we all know that that's the case when you're running an authority site. So, how much do they make on average? Six hundred and thirty-six dollars per month. That's for everyone who has less than a year experience. Which is pretty, I mean, it's pretty crap, to be honest. It's not but even that bad, to be honest. Like, I was thinking, like, less than a year, if you've, you've done that for just a few months and you're already making a few hundred bucks per, per month, I was like, it's okay. I don't think, uh, it's like, for me, it took me definitely, like, a year to, to make that or something. And it's like, it's fine, you know? It's like, it's okay. Yeah, and then uh, it, as soon as you jump up to one to two years, the average affiliate income jumps to 4,196. Now, obviously, if someone has one year and one day experience or two years and 300 <laughs> days experience, it works, yeah. it's quite, quite different. <laughs> but so you're not instantly getting, getting that money. But it is interesting that suddenly people are getting that kind of job replacement income level of affiliate earnings quite soon-ish down that path. Now, I just want to say here that there's this thing called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, where it's basically this, this idea that, you know, someone was uh, shooting these targets and they were super accurate and they're always hitting bullseye. And then it's like the story goes, like it actually turned out they were just shooting a blank barn door and then going and painting the target on afterwards. And there's possibly like something going on here whereby you know, the people who have given up at six months, 12 months time, they're not answering the survey, right? They're not in the industry anymore. So, you know, we're not seeing the full picture of of, of that. Yeah, but there's a drop it, off, basically. It, it kind of seems that if you stick around, then most people tend to do quite well eventually. And that's... Or is it even, because you do well, you stick around? We don't know exactly what that is, but probably a bit of both. When you do get into the three to 10 year level, then it starts to go up to sort of five figures a month, 10K and 12K after six years. And then people who have 10 years or more experience, it just jumps up massively. There's not so many of them completed the survey, but on average, they're making 44.9K per month, which is pretty crazy. But, you know, if you're in an industry for 10 years and you're doing well and you've stuck it out, I think you deserve they to be They probably have a team as well, right? It's not just like uh, they probably have salaries they pay on that money, et cetera. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's 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 bigger costs, and we actually looked at team size as well. Those people earning 500k a month or more, or even 250k a month per more, they tend to have teams of you know 20 something people. The the solopreneurs, the people just getting started, tend to work work by themselves until they start making 100 to 500 bucks a month, and that's the time I think people feel confident to like reinvest some of the money into probably writers in the early stages. I was going to say, you um, don't hire someone full-time at this price, at this level of income, right? No, you just pay a no. freelancer or something to do some work. Yeah, freelance writers, usually the most common hire for beginners. And then you start to get like a proper, most people start to build a proper team once they start hitting sort of like 10K a month, possibly some full-time people in there. Yeah, it jumps from like 3.03 team members between 2.5 and 10K revenue to almost seven team members between 10 and 50k. So it's like that's the time where people go from like, let's just use a few freelancers to let's build a, a bigger team basically. And it jumps up 
basically it, at 100k like it doesn't move until 100k and then uh, after that it just keeps going up basically so it's, it's it's interesting there's these three phases you're like solo proner till 10k then you kind of like small team till 100k and then you're kind of like building a proper company once you make 100k per month that's kind of like how people structure their team building basically and i think that in order to grow you'll hit a ceiling quite quickly where you can only do so much right and if you don't hire a bigger team then you're kind of limited you can maintain to your site if it gets too big exactly yeah. and it's important these days like updating your content etc like you need to do that so it's like you need to you have to at some point if you start hitting more and more keywords more and more pages you you have to hire people actually what's the next stat so then we looked at uh traffic level so how much people are making at different traffic levels and no surprise here broadly speaking you know the more traffic you make the more monthly income you make you make you know surprise surprise but what was quite interesting was that those who were who had less than 10,000 traffic made it on average $769 per month which it's not too bad but once they jumped up to the next bracket which was 10k to 50k a month their month average monthly income jumped to almost 5k per month and then you know it just kind of went up and up from there so the next thing we looked at is how much traffic on average are affiliate marketers getting and across everyone that completed the survey the average number was 56,673 which is pretty kind of respectable pretty decent but then where it got interesting is when you break it down per niche i don't think 56,000 is like that insane it's okay but it's like there's lots of people with very little traffic and then there's a few people just racking a lot of traffic so when you do averages it's not that impressive in the survey, there is a disproportionate amount of beginners, so those yeah. who have less than one year experience. And if you go to authorityhacker.com slash affiliate marketing survey, you can actually see the breakdown of how many people with less than a year experience. I think they kind of drag the average down quite significantly. If we actually uh, look at the, the table on traffic per experience level, you can see that those with less than a year average about 13,700. Those with more than 10 years are averaging about 216,000 uh, yeah. visits per month. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a pretty linear level of growth in terms of how much traffic people are getting. Yeah, so less than one year, 13K, yeah. one to two years, 27K, three to five years, 67K, six to 10 years, 108K, and over 10 years, 216K. Yeah, you can still see that it kind of like accelerates towards the end of the graph. So you see that the first two years are kind of shit, basically. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's okay, but like it's, you can definitely see that it's much slower growth. Then you can again have that kind of like gear two that goes in and then like yeah, between year three and year 10, it's kind of linear. And people who get past that 10 year thing, then they actually, they're like double the size of the people that are in the six to 10 year bracket, which is quite a lot when compared to previous ones. I think what's quite interesting here is that we're looking at 2,200 people here, right? So it kind of smooths all these up and downs quite significantly. Yeah, yeah. When you're working on just your own site, just one site, it's, different, yeah. uh, it's kind of frustrating, you know, when you go through a whole year and it's just plateau, plateau, you're building links, you're building content and nothing happens. And then eventually you have this like massive increase, uh, you know, maybe an algorithm update or something. Um, but it just goes to show that like on average, people are kind of, you know, slowly and steadily increasing. Yeah, I mean, we see that on like sites we've done it's like it's it's it looks flat sometimes or year over like if you look at the one year graph but then you look over time it just it's still pretty big growth over time so 
Yeah, it's like when you refresh your analytics, nothing exciting happens. But if you zoom out, it's usually pretty good, actually. But let's let's look at the traffic per niche, because this is also quite interesting. And there is a massive difference between those at the top in the food and nutrition, actually very high up there. That was the, mm. the third highest in our list with average traffic of 77K. Beauty and skincare, there you go. That's there again. 92,000 visits per month on average. And tech... 109,000, which again, quite surprising. Uh, the problem with tech is it gets updated so fast. Like You need to really, the, like the problem with, with updating content is there's not really a very well established tool or way to constantly update your content, right? Because some sometimes you're writing brand new articles, sometimes you're just doing some little SEO tweaks, sometimes there's significant rewrites and bringing it back out of Google Docs and WordPress and all that's kind of, it's, yeah, it it's a pain in the ass, really. And imagine doing that for every new GeForce model or variation exactly. that oh, they like bring the, out. And I mean, I think tech, it might also be like software or something like this, like people might think about that, but still there's lots of updates. There's lots of like, I mean, we know it with the courses, like UI changes of the, of the tools that you recommend and stuff. You have to redo the screenshots, you have to redo videos in our case. And so like the people who are in the tech niche, they get traffic, but they're on a fucking grind beauty and skincare like it doesn't change as much right it's like uh, products get refreshed etc packaging might change is it but a lot of things are evergreen like if you if you have a makeup tutorial or something like that on your site it's gonna stay the same mostly and so like same with food and nutrition lots of recipes can stay evergreen facts about types of food etc like things like that diet plans they can stay evergreen travel places don't change that much like it's apart from like local rules maybe that might change like travel restrictions, things like that. So it's like, I'm surprised that the tech people are, are doing so well. I guess there's also lots of searches because things change. And so that's that generates just lots of traffic and it's easier to get in a way. But yeah, it's a grind. On the sort of flip side of that, digital marketing, which is one of the highest earning niches, uh, slow traffic, um, yeah. actually is very low down. It's only like 30,599 average traffic I across mean, uh, respondents. Yeah. But we know that the value of a visitor in that space is much higher than most B2C niches because people are doing this for work. You know, there's a bit of like investment here. You know, you spend money on marketing to make more money further down the line. So yeah, the value of one one customer or one sale is much higher. Yeah, I mean, we know that, right? It's like Atari Hacker is not like the biggest traffic site in the world, but we're doing okay still, even though traffic is good, but not like not as big as like some B2C sites we've built, definitely. Interestingly, at the very bottom of this list, sustainability and environment, <laughs> average traffic 7,941. However, of those people, and we ask a question later in the survey about how optimistic are you about the future, of those people, 100% of them said that they were very optimistic. Of sustainability uh, and, the, and environment? Yeah, that was the only niche that people were so positive about, yeah, about they, the future. They, they, so know, they know we're it's fucked, interesting. so we need to invest in <laughs> in whatever in whatever like uh, reusable energies, etc. It's a good niche, actually. I really think it's a good niche, but it's maybe not the biggest niche today. Eventually, it will be. As an affiliate, there's some interesting options in there with like solar, solar, panels, yeah. solar installers and like quotes for that and like lead gen around that. It's maybe not so quite so much affiliate. There's lots of cool tech as well. Like, you yeah. know, it's like, uh, you can sell the batteries so like people have electricity in the evening when there's no sun there's like geothermal stuff there's like you can and you can make cool content around that it's like i think that if you build a site in that niche it's like traffic may not be huge yet 
But like you're anchoring yourself for something that's going to be very popular one day and potentially make a large exit. So it's kind of like a bet on the future, you know. So but it, I think despite the fact that they're the lowest niche, it might be biased towards the people who responded. But I like it, actually. I would I, if I had a good plan, I would consider working on a project in this niche because you can mix that with like smart home stuff and tech, basically. And uh, and I think that's a fun niche, actually. I would enjoy it. Okay, so the next point, we're going to talk about the biggest challenges that people have when it comes to growing their sites. But before that, a quick word from our sponsor. This week's Authority Hacker episode is presented to you by Ahrefs Webmasters Tool, the free SEO webmaster suite that has your back where Google's own Webmasters Console drops the ball. I mean, we all use Google's Webmasters Console, but some of the reports are not so great. I mean, for example, the link report only gives you a fraction of the links that link to your website. They don't give you the exact pages that link to it and they give you no idea of the authority or toxicity level of the domain linking to you. Compare that to Ahrefs Webmasters tool that gives you all the insights you'd get from a paid Ahrefs account, including DR, UR, page traffic, and the exact page linking back to your website. And the same goes with on-site SEO issues. While Webmasters Console gives you vague indications of what's wrong with your website, AWT automatically scans your site every single week and gives you a detailed report of over 140 common SEO issues that your site may be having. It's very similar to many crawler tools that charge hundreds of dollars per year. And again, it's the same issue with keyword tracking. GSE does give you query, click, and impression data, but quite often the rankings do not reflect what you see in the SERPs. That's because they give you the average ranking. AWT gives you the exact rankings of your website for all known keywords, which could easily save you the cost of a rank tracking tool. But it also allows you to dig deeper into the SERPs for this keyword to easily identify keywords that you could rank higher for by identifying weak pages outranking you, which makes it easier for you to increase your own organic traffic. Best part, it's all free for life. So if you're not using it, you should go and register your site right now on hrefs.com AWT. And now back to the episode. Okay, so next we're going to talk about the biggest challenges people have when it comes to growing their site. And number one on this list across all experience levels, all income levels, everyone was getting traffic. And that makes sense, right? Because the more traffic you have, the more money you make with the same business model, mostly. And the thing about that, though, is that in the beginning, so when people have less than a year experience, 51.4% of people thought that that was the biggest challenge for them. Now that declines, not too much, but declines to about 32, 33, 32% after people get six plus years of experience. So it makes sense. You've kind of figured out how to grow traffic. You know SEO, you know what you need oh, you to do have to, traffic already. to rank. Yeah, and you start to have other problems which concern you more around, you know, conversions or monetization. Dealing with algorithm changes was an interesting one as well. And we, we do talk about that later in the survey as well, how many people have been, been affected. But the amount of people that said that this was a big problem was tiny if they had less than a year experience, which makes sense because they, they probably had no had experience. <laughs> they didn't have any traffic or they didn't experience have much time to experience those those problems. And obviously the more time you go through, the more algorithm changes you are there are, therefore the more you, and the you more experience exposed them you as are. well. Like the thing is like if you have a site that has traffic, then a call that might fuck you up. But if you are starting and you go from 20 visits per day to 10 visits per day, it doesn't really change anything, you know? So that's why it's like, I think the advanced people, like a few people took a hit. And it was interesting. It went from 
percent of people who actually cared about that and uh, when they have less than a year experience 5.3 for one to two years but then it went all the way to 14.4 percent for people with 10 plus years experience which is still not that high to be honest it's like considering like what happens when you open like a facebook group <laughs> about seo or something like this or twitter it's okay it feels like core updates have not been doing as much damage as they may have like two, three years ago, basically. It's a manageable thing now. Yeah. Maybe all those people that got affected have just quit and so we're not, there weren't yeah. in the survey, so who knows? I think they're less harsh as well. Like the, the core updates yeah. these days are like not nearly as bad as they used to be and, uh, and that's why. Touch wood. Um. Yeah, for now. <laughs> so a couple of other interesting things around this was that as people got more experience, they had more challenges and none of them were kind of like dominant but they started to affect more people more often so things like dealing with competition in a niche niche up and coming competitors again makes sense right when you're starting you're the competition you're the new upstart but other people will try and take over your your rankings and you have to like fight for them and it's a whole different game than just pumping out new content um, and then Exactly. Copycats. We've done many podcasts talk, talking about that. It's it's frustrating, but it's just part of life in the SEO world and you've just got to deal with it. And then things like hiring and managing a team, obviously, if it's just you, it's not, not a concern. But once you have a lot more experience, then that starts to become a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's basically like more diffuse. It's like basically people start, they're like, I have no traffic, nothing else matters. And you grow and then all these little things come up. Also choosing the right products to promote was something that didn't really come up very much as well, which is interesting. It's like, that is one topic that makes me think a lot about how affiliate marketers work because picking the right product to, I mean, to recommend to like the audience on the hacker for me, it's like so important. Something I spent like ages on, I try all the tools, etc. Like there was a debate about like SEO tools on the task group, for example, and I said like I tested all of them, etc. But it's not really a concern to pretty much anyone <laughs> in the industry. And I'm wondering if if that's not a, a problem that marketers don't care as much about making the right recommendation or like bringing value to people more. It's a huge problem <laughs> because I, as a consumer, don't trust yeah, recommendations exactly. in the SERPs when I go to Google. So, and, and I, admittedly, we're a bit more tuned into the affiliate world than the average consumer. So we go to like Reddit or YouTube or somewhere else to get may, arguably more reliable you, though, information. It's not just people. And that's the thing. It's like uh, it's like people, in a way, by not caring, kind of like kill the industry a little bit, because it's like as results become unreliable, people will add Reddit at the end of their queries or things like that. Will not visit these kind of sites. If people avoid these kind of sites, then Google will essentially start getting the hint and then maybe not rank them as well and so on. And essentially, just killing the industry. So it's kind of like the lower quality of content, but due to the lack of research may actually be something that spells trouble for the industry in general. So it's like, it's it's something I was a bit annoyed at, actually. To spin this around another way, though, if you are one of the people who are really going above and beyond to research products and make the best recommendations for your audience, it's a really easy way to build a, a super awesome community, a loyal following, because they trust you and you don't have to make up shit to, to sell crappy products or, you know, sell your soul to whoever's sponsoring you. Can you can build a following, um, most that importantly. Week. That's the thing. It's like people will trust you for the next recommendation. Um, but And it's like, that's kind of like how you get out of the SEO rat race. It's like most people just rely on ranking on Google for like random reviews and alternatives, etc. But the real game is that to be the site people go to when they want to buy something in your industry, 
without having to even Google, right? It's like, for example, our recommended tools page on the Toy Hacker, a lot of people use it. And we make lots of affiliate commissions from that page. It doesn't rank for anything. People just go on the site, go on that page, and quite often just ask me, like, oh, do you have this on your, like, you don't have a tool about this on your page, what's your recommended link, etc. And so building that kind of like level of following is like, it's kind of nice. And it's also what allows you to build a brand. Like if people Google you to get to your site, for example, that builds some brand signals that help Google trust your site more, uh, potentially put you less in trouble with these core updates, etc. So it's like, if you want to stand out, that's something that it's like, because nobody cares, it's something that you want to care about, actually. And it's like, that's kind of like the, the way I would look at these stats here, rather than be like, oh, nobody cares, so I don't care. It's interesting, because like, we never really set out, to, like, we didn't write down, oh, this is our plan to do that. I think we were just quite frustrated when we were trying to find the best tool that everyone had a different agenda. And it wasn't, yeah, it was really sure. hard, you had to test everything yourself to figure out what was actually good. So we just, we ended up creating content to serve the people who were frustrated by that. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean, it buys you trust. It buys you trust that it's like, even if you promote something that doesn't make you money this time, like next time people will just buy whatever you recommend. And and that's quite nice. So when you have a good offer, you can just put it in front of people. If you have an email list, you know, you make lots of money. You just send an email, go for a walk, come back, and there's a bunch of money on your bank account. It's quite nice. Let's move on to the next section, which is around uh, traffic sources. Uh, okay. So you're asking people, you know, where where are you getting traffic from? And of course, you know, this is a lot of the, the people re responding to the survey were in our audience. We did some ads, we did some other outreach stuff as well. To, but, you know, it's heavily skewed towards the authority hacker kind of community. And so unsurprisingly, SEO was very dominant and 78.3% of people were low, actually, yeah. heavily using SEO. But what was really interesting, though, is that if you look at the if you look at the progression over time, so SEO gets a little bit more popular as people get more experience, but a lot of people are starting off using social media, uh, like organic social media. Forty three percent of people are using that as a as one of their primary traffic sources initially. Now, I do wonder if that's just because like, oh, they don't have any SEO traffic because it takes time to kind of kick in. So they're posting on Facebook and Instagram and, rewarding, you know, doing you know? this stuff to try and get, you know, some initial views or clicks. And then very quickly, it seems they realize that's actually not such a good idea because it drops off they from, up, yeah. you know, 40 odd percent to um, 23, 25% as people get a bit more experience. So seems people give up on organic social, the more they, the, the more experience For they get. marketing, it makes sense. It's like most networks now, if you post a post with a link, you get so much less reach, it's, it's laughable. You know, it's like there's actually been recent studies that show that the social networking size, they send like half the traffic they did like three years ago or something. They send a lot less traffic now out and they really focus on keeping people on the platform. And like, a lot of popular platforms like TikTok, Instagram, etc. There's literally no place to put a link anyway. Uh, it's just like put your content in there, etc. So having social is like a branding exercise now, more than more than anything. And it's like, I think we, newbies go for that because it's rewarding. Like, oh, three people like my posts or something like that. And it's like it feels something is happening because that's here at the beginning. It's just crickets, just big you know? input lag. Yeah, <laughs> when you do the work and when something actually happens. But I think it's a mistake. I think it's like, even if it's crickets at the beginning, just focusing on SEO at first and then using your SEO traffic to then grow your social if you want and grow brand from there makes more sense than unless you really are good at social content. If you're like a really good at reels or shorts, et cetera, like, yeah, potentially you can grow big. But most of the time you're better focusing on SEO than using that SEO traffic to grow an email list, then use your email list to actually grow whatever platform you want 
from there. Uh, that's what we've done with YouTube, for example. It's doing okay. It's just much more reliable, and you have this ongoing traffic that keeps growing your email list that allows you to do whatever you want with it, not just grow your social networks, and you can send traffic from that email list, which is nice. Now, one stat I was really happy to see in here relates to how many people are using email as a, mm. as a traffic source. And in the beginning, from zero all the way through to five years, it kind of hovers around 20% of people are using email. But then suddenly something happens after five years and people realize, oh, hey, there's something in this email. And then uh, six to 10 years, we've got 26% uh, of people. And then those who have 10 years or more experience, 41.9% They know what's good, yeah. Using it. So they know what they're, they're doing. <laughs> Not, Admittedly, email doesn't work in, in every niche, right? I agree, you know, yeah. um, it's probably if you're in the VPN space, it's, it's not a good play. But for a lot of lot of people, there is a lot of money to be made in, in email. The value of an email subscriber is much, much higher than the value of just a random visitor to your site. So um, yeah, lots of lots of profit. Uh, I think the problem is people there. struggle with the business model. It's like um, if you're just a review site, it's quite tricky to like make a business model. But if you're building a brand, something a bit broader, and you focus on the topic rather than just doing reviews, etc. Then you gather a community that's focused around that topic, and you can sell them lots of things. I mean, let's just be totally honest here for a second. It's not just thin review sites that struggle with email. Like I think oh, every yeah. site struggles with email. Like, we struggle with email messy. massively. Like we've gone through periods where we didn't really like send too much out in our email list unless we were like selling something. So it just became yeah, this yeah. like sales list, but with no value. And then we like tried to turn it around and we we're sending loads of content, but it was like maybe a bit <laughs> too much content. And then, yeah, exactly. So it's trying to find that right balance of doing it. And then once you have that, being able to be consistent about it is, is the difficult part. And even for us, you know, we Email's still one of these that. legacy platforms of the internet, you know, it's like, it's not as intuitive as using a social platform or something like that. Something, someone should do that. Someone should make a platform that looks like a social network, but it sends emails instead, you know? People can like, like and stuff from the email. That'd be cool, actually. That would allow people to maybe use email more because it's, yeah, it's like podcasts as well. Like podcasts, like the RSS system is a shit show as well. There's no analytics, there's no nothing. It's, it's terrible. And it's just one of these legacy platforms, but it's the... These legacy platforms are the ones that are not ruled by uh, filtering algorithms. And so you are able to do what you want, including adding links in there, saying saying anything you want, and not necessarily rely on the highest engagement, not be punished if you have a low engagement post or email or something like that. And that is extremely valuable in today's world, much more than relying on platforms that change their rules all the time, actually. So next time you, you think, oh, we've got it tough with uh, Google algorithms, like spare a thought for those working on TikTok or Instagram because yeah, it's, it's much, much harsher when they change the, they tweak the, the algorithms on those platforms. Yep, I agree. Okay, what's the next stat? Next stat is RPM, so revenue per thousand visitors. And we broke this down per niche. And so we got a similar sort of graph here. We'll put it on screen for those who are watching on YouTube. Uh, for those who are listening, head to authorityhacker.com slash affiliate marketing survey. Now, straight at the top, we've got two niches that I like to see there, education and e-learning and digital marketing. We talked earlier, you know, that the value per visitor in digital marketing is huge because people are investing, investing money in growth. It's B2B, people have a budget to spend often. So that makes sense. Education, e-learning, uh, like that. There's a lot of B2C stuff in there. I think language courses or anything that you want to want to learn course. online. Like, yeah, honestly, any course. It's like learn how to program, learn how to lose weight, learn how to anything. You know, it's like it's yeah. it's huge. But the fact that and remember, this is not course sales. This is people making affiliate revenue only. Yeah, yeah. 
So what's interesting about it is that people are making a lot of money promoting other people's courses. So maybe, just maybe, some of those people could make their own courses and then make even more money. Um, yeah, just a thought, you know. I don't know who thought about that, but that sounds pretty interesting. It's cool. Like basically, info products high commission rates equals high revenue for people, and then conversion rates can be quite good. Like if you go in ClickBank, you know, you'll see the classic VSL sales data, etc. They look like shit, but we've made lots of money with them, so <laughs> I can tell you it works. Um, what so blew me away though in this was entertainment being yeah, the third highest say. RPM. Two hundred and three dollars. Like I, what, I don't know. What is entertainment? Like what do you classify? Well, give me a niche. Like something that would fit in that. The only thing I'm thinking is like could maybe like casino type stuff, gambling ah, be yeah, under okay, here? Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Maybe I, I'm not sure. I'm not we don't sure. Have dating as well. What do you put dating? Let's dating see. is is that entertainment? Is that, is that I lifestyle? Don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just know they pay a lot. Yeah, that's true. But I mean entertainment, I guess maybe it's too broad of a category here. So it's there's maybe some some catch all stuff. You know, yeah. Could be some some skewing there. Travel the is right behind though. Travel is like one ninety six against two zero three for entertainment, so it's pretty good. It's like uh, it's a lot cleaner why, as an industry. Why is travel higher than finance though? Like in my head, I always had finance as you know, you know one of the top. I mean, it's revenue per thousand visits. I was gonna say because it's easier to get traffic in travel, but this is RPM, so it doesn't matter. It's tricky. I guess you're more likely. I guess you buy travel products more often than you buy financial products. Maybe something like conversion rate might be a lot higher or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something like this. Like you buy more trips than you buy. Maybe it's an economy thing, you know, recessions and like people aren't taking out as much loans or maybe like yeah. hold, holding back, tightening up on credit cards and things like that. So be interesting to check that in a couple of years time and see if that, that kind of I mean, credit card with... has never been higher in the US right now. So I don't know about that. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Yeah, there's credit card debt, and then there's taking out new credit cards. That's maybe true. People, you can't take new are, ones if you have too much debt, maybe. People are tightening their belts in, in 2023, for sure. Okay, then after that, we have health and fitness, e-commerce, finance, beauty and skincare, still pretty high up. Sports and outdoors is cool because sports and outdoors is still pretty high up, but also you can take many small niches there, like many small sports, many small things. And it's like the, the revenue is pretty good, like 126. I mean, uh, it's decent, actually. Then we have personal development, home and garden. So home and garden is, is like kind of like two thirds down. But I think um, the trick is there's so much traffic in home and garden. Like it's so easy to get traffic in that niche that I wouldn't sleep on it because yes, the RPM is lower. That's probably because people just write lots of like info keywords and put, uh, I don't know if they count, like did people give just affiliate revenue here or also? Yeah, add? just affiliate, yeah. Okay, I mean, I guess we didn't check on everyone. <laughs> yeah, and so like, yeah, it's pretty low, but given it's, Super easy to, to build traffic there. You can do Pinterest, you can do all of that. Like it's it's really, really easy. And so like I, I still think it's a good niche. So it's like, this is interesting, but I would not fully rely on that. Same with like pets and animals. Like, come on, like I definitely have some stats in that industry, and that's the last one here yeah. at twenty eight dollars. It's definitely I, not correct. It should be averaged out by the fact that this is per thousand visitors, but I think if you look mm. in the data, you find a disproportionate number of pets and animals respondents have less than a year of experience yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So, so they don't monetize well. It makes something. sense. They're not in, well, this is just affiliate networks, but you know, they, they, they haven't figured all that stuff out yet. They don't rank for the good keywords or something like that. And yeah. it's like, that kills the RPM. Yeah, because I definitely have the RPMs in, in several of these niches. And I can tell you that uh, we're a lot higher. 
Uh, yeah. so. But one one interesting one here, also quite low down, is food and nutrition, which again makes sense because you're aside from buying pots and pans and, and things like that, you go to the grocery store to buy groceries. You don't exactly. really buy them through an affiliate link. So yeah, tough it's niche to be in. Recipe sites, I think. I think it's more ads. I think food and nutrition is like write a recipe and put that. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, I think that's more an ads niche. And arts and crafts could argue is the same fashion uh, as well. So so we looked but at the RPM. No, sorry, go ahead. Maybe that's an indication that, you know, if you're starting an affiliate site, some of these ads heavy niches aren't, aren't going to pay you decent money until you get over the kind of 50K, 100K thresholds for the bigger networks and, and can start yeah. making, making big bucks there. But for affiliate, I really think that what's happening is like these guys are coming in. These are competitive niches like pets and animals, food and nutrition, etc. And it's like these niches have like great keywords and trash keywords, keywords where people don't buy anything. And people, keywords where people buy a lot. And the keywords where people buy a lot, they're taken by like the, the huge sites, basically. And it's like, it's very hard to take them. And so what's left is just easy keywords that don't necessarily drive conversions. People write for them because it's easier to rank. But as a result, the RPM is low. And so like it's more of a keyword selection, such even niche selection. Uh, thing. And that, now you understand why the niche selection module is so long in the authority system <laughs> because of that, basically, because it's if you don't actually identify a lot of these things before you get started, you will get caught in one of these traps. And it can be a bad situation when you've built a site, you've put lots of time and money, and then you realize that you just can't convert a lot of traffic or make good money from the traffic. For a lot of people, I mean, starting over, you know. That's actually a very good segue. So, you know, if you want to learn more about choosing a niche <laughs> and, you know, what to do and what not to do, head over to authorityhackertraining.com and we actually have a free training video where we show you, among other things, uh, how some to tips on uh, how to pick a niche. And we looked at the RPM per experience level as well. And uh, what was interesting was the RPM for people under one year was very low at $46. Whereas when you jump to the one to two year bracket, the one just after that, it's $154. So it's three times more money. So again, there's probably an effect of these like low competition keywords, not uh, not good keywords and or not knowing how to put, put posts together to convert as well. I think there's a really good takeaway for that because if you're six months into your journey here, and you know, you, you see yourself making 50 bucks or something and you're like, wow, I had to get however many visits to to make that and you're doing the math so i need to triple the amount of traffic to make triple that well Not just know yeah. that you, you you know you don't need to like massively increase the traffic i mean you you will need to increase traffic but you can you your monetization should if you follow the law of averages, improve pretty significantly in the, in the next few years. So it should make things a little bit easier. Yeah. After that, it kind of like stabilizes basically, except the guys who are like 10 plus years who jump another basically 25% from around 150 bucks for the previous brackets to 200 plus $208. So like there is an, I think that's the people who actually have spent some time on CRO, like a 25% increase sounds like something that you'd achieve from like an average page to a great page. Or um, negotiating higher commissions because you have yeah. higher volume and, and these types of things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or just ranking for bigger keywords or like more monetizable keywords because your site authority is higher, basically. What was interesting as well is we kind of broke all this down on a per traffic level and there wasn't that much variation. There's a slight increase as you get more traffic, RPMs increase, but less than 10,000, the average RPM was still 153, whereas it was 160 when you have more than, than 1 million. So th I think there's a lot of like, 
experience levels with like high low high low traffic high value per visitor kind of blended in together here so not really too much to take away from yeah uh, because there's some issues where like you can drive lots of traffic early so they're like beginners but with high traffic and then someone in a finance niche might not get lots of traffic but like converse like crazy for example so it makes them Okay, what's the next section? All right, next, so we're looking at what affiliate networks are people using? And unsurprisingly, 58.5% of people are using Amazon Associates. Didn't see that one coming. Um, but what was interesting is we actually looked at this over revenue levels, right? And uh, there, there's a slight decrease. So people who earn less than $100 a month about 54% are using Amazon. Then everyone from $100 to a month to 10K a month, it's about 60, 60, 62 to 67% of people are using Amazon. Then the people over 10K, only 48%, which you know makes sense because there's not that much money in Amazon per visitor. You really need to be pumping the volume in order to, to make a lot of money from it. But still, it was much higher than I expected. I was thinking maybe like 30% of people would still be using Amazon at that level, but almost half of people um, use it. Even the, the high level people, like even the people who make more money, like it's, I'm sure if you, I wish we kind of broke it down for like higher revenue levels because I think it might go down quite significantly. I guess the question is like seeing these stats, do you think that starting with Amazon is a good idea or a bad idea? I maintain my stance that Amazon is the best everything else affiliate network and that doesn't matter what niche you're in i mean maybe digital marketing like i think we yeah. have a few amazon links on authority <laughs> no, hacker for, for so. some books or something but yeah, maybe yeah. most like most physical product niches there's just a lot of good stuff on amazon people have prime accounts you know there, there's low friction to to selling stuff there you get commission on the other things people buy so it makes sense to do it like doesn't necessarily make sense to push it as your best option always, but there's going to be some products when you, I think you it's can't the have to play with Amazon. Yeah. It's yeah. like you fill your roundup previews with like products three to 10 <laughs> or three to seven or whatever number you put with Amazon stuff and all you put as a second buying option because Google wants to see multiple buying options. So you kind of like backfill with Amazon. What's your, you've... I just want to stop you there. Like, what's your current thoughts on showing multiple buying options on an affiliate site? Because it said that in the, the Google review guidelines, yeah. but I'm just not sure that it's uh conversion. So you need to be smart. Here's the thing. Like you need to be smart with your design. I think the problem is like most affiliate sites are designed with a fucking Microsoft Paint, you know? And the thing is that you need to kind of like have your primary call to action button to like your high paying offer. It's like big and bold, like uh, like your your main accent color, and then you need to kind of have these kind of like ghost buttons next to it or something. Maybe sometimes buttons that don't even have a border or a shadow or nothing. It's just text, but it's a button still. That's like I'll get it on Amazon, and you can make it like those the font smaller, thinner, etc., so that you can show alternative buying options, so you satisfy Google. But at the same time. 99% of people are going to click on the button you want them to click on. And so you satisfy both Google and the users. So there's a lot of like, like it's funny because I'm taking, like, don't ask me, but I'm, I'm taking lots of like UX video classes, etc. Now I'm kind of enjoying that. And it's like, uh, it, it's one of the things that they play on a lot. It's like the, the font sizes, the font boldness, the font everything, etc. And then the usage of uh, accent colors, but 
very little, just when you need it, just at the places where you need it. So like on a screen, like on the size of your screen on your laptop, you'd want one button with that red color you're using for your buttons, nothing else. Like you shouldn't have a title with it. You shouldn't have anything like that, etc. So that the attention goes all there and your click-through rate is pushed that way. So you can kind of like get the best of both worlds if you do that. So I would still do it, but I would be smart with design and think a lot about it. Okay, what about the other networks? What is used the most by EFM marketers? And do we have a breakdown? Yeah, big, big drop off after an average 58.5% are using Amazon. The next high is actually ClickBank, our old I friend. I was like, what the fuck? 24.6% <laughs> are using ClickBank. Um, I think this is one of the ones, though, that when we looked into that over experience level, uh, a lot more beginners were using ClickBank than experienced people so i don't know, read into that as you as you will uh, let me just talk about clickbank for a second like clickbank is cool but the problem is clickbank takes 10 percent of your sales as the person who sells the product because they're basically your shopping cart and it's like a freaking bad deal like if you're selling products giving 10 percent to that network that mostly provides you with spammy affiliates most of the time some products do well there but it, you can probably count it on like two or three hands. It's a really bad deal, basically. So most people who produce good quality products move off ClickBank and run their own shopping cart because then they pay much lower fees on payment processing and they can still run their own affiliate program, etc. So they are good info products, but uh, while at some point they were on ClickBank, like, you know, several years ago, I don't think that's very much the case anymore. I might be wrong, actually. I should go and hang out a bit more there. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my hand up in case I'm, I'm wrong, but like, that's my vision of ClickBank. I think it's, uh, it's if you're a seller, it's a bad deal. And so good sellers are not on ClickBank, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the, the sellers who are on ClickBank are really there for the, the affiliates. And there's only the top 0.1% of products on ClickBank make probably 80% of the revenue on the, the platform. Uh, just because of some of those those affiliates and all the upsells and things that, that they do. So yeah, it used to be cool. Like the upsell system was like so unique, etc. And it's like it was great. But like now every single now shopping cart does, does that. it. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's no there's no point using ClickBank as a seller unless you you can get really good affiliates there, which I think there are some, but not that many. And then if we go further down the list, we've got the more traditional affiliate network. So share a sale and commission junction CJ. They're the two biggest among uh, our respondents, 20%, 21% there. Then the next category, we sort of like 11% A-win, 15% impact. And then everyone else is kind of a, a little bit further down. Rakuten, LinkShare, Flex Offers, eBay, Vantlink, Skimlinks. Apart from Amazon it's, and ClickBank, it's quite reflective of the stuff we use, actually. Um, but also a lot of individual affiliate programs, I would say, like for us at least. I guess we should have asked as well for individual affiliate programs that would have been interesting to see. But uh, still, Amazon, really strong sale. It's like, it's your backfiller. It's, but it's interesting. It's, it reflects exactly what I was thinking of the market though. Anything else we want to say about networks? All right, so next we're looking at monetizing with ads and how many people were, were doing that. Bear in mind, this is an affiliate-focused survey, so we didn't go too into too much detail on this, but it was interesting. So 80.4% of beauty and skincare sites are using ads. 78% of digital marketing sites this are using ads, which like... well, that was bizarre. Like, why would you use ads on such a high um, RPM affiliate space? It's just... A, that, that was kind of a bit bonkers. But then when we go further down towards the bottom of the list, pets and animals, 66.9, food and nutrition, 
which remember that was the one that we said, oh, they must do a lot of ads. Only 66 points percent of How food and nutrition money? sites are monetized <laughs> with ads. I guess they don't. So okay. Personal development, 60.9. That actually does I make understand. sense. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of courses and you know, I would services focus on and, the opt-ins. That's why yeah. it's like if I was running this. Health and fitness, Health. 59, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. really cool. fashion, 58.3. Like I don't know. I just presumed that there was a lot of ads in, in that space. I'm going to make enemies, not, so. but I'm yeah. going to say that like food bloggers, fashion bloggers, etc., they're clueless about how to monetize a blog. Oh, <laughs> like, the geniuses and I'm an idiot. Like, prove me wrong, please. Uh, go ahead in the comments. But like overall, it's 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 not looking good for these, uh, for these niches. Same with parenting and family, 56%, right? It's like these are the niches where you would want to see ads because it's a bit more difficult to monetize with affiliate and it looks like the basically the people who make money is the people who have researched their niche thoroughly didn't just follow a passion and not apply the businesses the business model systematically both with ads and affiliate and you can see that overall like most affiliate sites use ads as well that's an interesting one i think that's established now it's like it's not just us who came out saying that we were not seeing a decrease in conversions on affiliate commissions if we were an ads on sites like many people in the industry now have come out saying that so it's usually worth running a network like raptive or like mediavine on your site on top of running uh, fit marketing, round of previews, alternatives. That, that's true to a point, I think, but I still can't see a day where we put ads on the Authority Hacker blog, for example. Honestly, it depends how much they pay again. It's like, it's it's all, yeah. there's always a number, right? It's like, uh, what makes that's sense? That's true. And so if ads were paying you $300 RPM, would you put ads on the site? Maybe you might consider it. So it, it's it's a matter of like how much, like, look, now we, we have a sponsor on the podcast because the number made much more sense than turning the ads on on YouTube, for example. So it's like, I think there's always a number. And I think for a lot of sites, this number is reached by networks like Raptive or Mediavine. And they don't see a decrease in conversions at least as big as what the ads are bringing in terms of revenue. And so I would also recommend that people run both when it makes sense. I would not bother with ads before you can be on Mediavine or Raptive though. Uh, just run, just grow your site, focus on growth when you're below 50K. Then when you are there, just use these and, and enjoy the extra revenue basically. And when we looked at this over experience level, so unsurprisingly, like 59% of people with less than your experience are monetizing with ads. And there are cer certain networks I think Azoic lets you in with whatever, Google AdSense, obviously, but the good ones like Mediavine and AdThrive, you need Raptive much now. more traffic. Raptive, whatever they're called. Uh, you need more traffic now in order to get in. So it makes sense that people less than your experience are not using them. Once people get over a year, then 70, 75 to 82% across the rest of the spectrum was was the number of people, well, percentages that were like monetizing by ads. So most people are doing it, yeah. So if you're not something uh, to consider getting into. I think it, it largely made up for the loss in uh, Amazon revenue for a lot of people. Like, you know, it's like it kind of happened at the same time when these ad networks kind of like became bigger and started paying a lot more than like AdSense would or Media.net, media things like that, like we had before. And it's like, it kind of like rebalanced things basically financially. Though this year has been pretty brutal for uh, ad RPMs on the whole, like uh, general economic outlook. It's a marketplace. People aren't spending on on as much ads as they were in the last couple of years. So uh, yeah, RPM's down quite a bit, but they, I don't know, they seem to be recovering slightly in the last few months. So hopefully that's some, there's some positive news there. Let's move on to the next section, shall we? So who's been negatively affected by an algorithm update? 
If you go into any Facebook group or community at any point, really, you'll probably see a mega thread or two every few months uh, by people who got affected by an algorithm update. And it's very easy to go in and think, oh my God, this is happening to (laughs) everyone. You know, affiliate marketing is dead. SEO is dead. And the, the truth is that when you go into these communities, you often see just the people who are negatively affected or, you know, sometimes positively affected post about it. The silent major- majority in, in this case who are ne- or have never been affected or had no significant um, effects, they don't bother posting because they, they just c- carry on running their business, right? And when we actually looked at the numbers, so 58.8% of people who responded had not had any negative impact on their from a search engine algorithm update 25.1 percent had had a negative impact and 16.1 percent had had a positive impact for an update we've had all three many times um (laughs) we we are this exact stat you know (laughs) (laughs) so like it it happens to everyone and and also you know to be fair uh again we had a lot more beginners uh, and people with less than a year experience in the survey. So I think a lot of those people won't have had any yeah, negative responses. But we did um, actually look at that like across experience levels and found that the positive number st- stays pretty much the same. The negative number actually increases slightly as people get more experience. So it's not the case that beginners had a lot, have a lot of negative. It's probably that they have more no significant impact responses. If that makes sense. I think also the reason, the reason like it, the negative stuff is like more towards the people with a bit more experience is because the standards are changing, right? It's like what used to fly a few years ago doesn't anymore, right? You need to build better sites. You need to do a better job, etc. And the problem is like it's nice to understand it, but sometimes you have a site on your hands with like hundreds of pages. It's not exactly simple to bring it up to the standards overnight, and people get caught in that because you probably should be above the standards of you know the, of what is the minimum threshold these days so that you can survive a bit longer. And so yeah, you get caught in that, and I think that's what happened, and that's why the negative stuff happens to people with a bit more experience actually. So shall we move on to the last statistic, which is about your thoughts for the future? Okay, that's uh, great. And this was an interesting one when we asked asked it in the AI survey, which we did did earlier this year. <laughs> and I think there was a lot. I think if we had had asked this same question in January or February this year, when AI was kind of on oh, everyone's yeah, mind, bad, a yeah. lot more people would have been negative about it. But the, the stat is so eighty three point one percent of people were optimistic about the, the the future of affiliate marketing, which is pretty high stat. I think what's happened this year is a lot of people got very scared. Uh, in Q1, and then there wasn't really that big of an impact from from all the AI stuff over. I mean, there is on the content production side of things. Like people are using it for their site, and and it's like it's something that's happening right now. Has helped more than it took away so far, you know. That's been, I think, for a lot of site owners, quite a positive thing. The kind of end of search traffic, or you know, affiliate marketing is dead. Skynet's taking over type stuff. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> Maybe wait a few more years for that. Yeah, I mean, now they added links to SGE as well. So I think people are quite positive. Like, you know, the SGE answers, now they start having links inside the AI answers, links back to like affiliate sites, etc. So it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it, there's a change coming, but like nothing's looking like doomsday anymore. Not like it did when all the AI stuff fell on people's face. So I think people are, the fact that people didn't get 
too affected by color based code dates like this one rolling out as we're shooting now but the, you know there's not like a tsunami of people posting oh, all my site traffic's gone and i have nothing left etc so color updates are a lot more manageable ai is at least helping as much as it's taking away things are ticking basically so it's like yeah i can see why people are positive overall and how this might feel a lot more stable than it did six months ago for example yeah and, and just to dive in a little bit deeper so there wasn't really any difference between across experience levels beginners and the, the most experienced or the highest earning affiliate marketers were all pretty much about, I think there's a two to 3% variance in optimism. Digital marketers specifically, or people in the digital marketing niche, were very optimistic. So 91.2% optimistic about the future. And as I said, sustainability and environment, <laughs> 100%. It's like, uh, and I see the notes uh, of the person that helped us prepare the podcast that says, lol, 20 people answer this and they are one of the lowest owners. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's funny. But like, fair enough. I think I think I would be optimistic for this niche too, to be honest. It's like, it, it, it may be funny to look at now, but like, I think there will be high demand. And it's like, if you're positioned early in the subs, you might reap a lot of benefits in like two, three, four years, actually. So yeah, I think overall, it's nice to see that people quite positive about the whole industry that most people have not been killed by core updates. People are like the average $8,000 per month, including all the newbies that have answered this survey. It's pretty decent, to be honest. I don't think it's it's too bad, including some people making quite a lot of money. I mean, average 18, almost $19,000 in, in travel, for example, is, is quite impressive, to be honest. Uh, when you talk about averages, it's impressive. Like you, it's easy to find people who make more money, but when you talk about a survey with thousands of affiliate marketers responding, and having these kind of averages, I think there is reasons to be positive about the future. And uh, I, it's cool to see that. It's cool to see that people are sharing that vision, actually. Okay, any final words of wisdom? That's the other thing that you missed probably. <laughs> Again, no final words of wisdom. <laughs> All right, cool. Then thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe, like, and we will see you in two weeks for another episode, probably an interview this time. See you later. Mm -hmm.